So today, new location, same series. We are on week number three of what we're calling Forgotten Virtues. Uh, the first week, we talked about the forgotten virtue of honor. Last episode, we talked about the forgotten virtue of purity. Today, though, I want to focus on the uh, relationship-affirming virtue of loyalty. How many of you right here, right now, would agree that in society in general, disloyalty is a significant problem? Raise your hand. If you think disloyalty is a significant problem. Yeah, just take a second to look around really quick, right? What you're going to find is that basically everybody's hand is up. We, we, we have identified this. This need has now been established because we've seen it. It's a real thing. Disloyalty is a problem. Now, let me ask you this. Now, this one's going to be harder, and I want you to be honest. I know people say, well, you're in church. You've got to tell the truth because you're in church. You should always tell the truth. For the most part, would you describe yourself as a loyal person? If you are a loyal person, put your hand up. Who are the loyal people out here? Now take a second look around. You want to know who these people are so you can depend on them, right? You see the problem? Herein lies the challenge of the message today for me. We all say, or most of us said, that disloyalty is a significant issue in our society. And yet we are all basically loyal people. There's only one thing I can figure out, and that there must be churches that are just full of the disloyal people, but they're not here, right? Like, we're the loyal place, and that's great. But here's the kick in the pants. Disloyalty is very, very difficult to see in the mirror. We, we like to say, hey, yeah, I, I'm totally loyal to you, but if I'm ever not loyal to you, well, it's because you deserved it, right? It's because you pushed me beyond my limits. But if you're not loyal to me, oh my gosh, you're a terrible person. And disloyalty is a very big problem. It's very difficult to see in the mirror. Very difficult to admit to. Very difficult to uh, treat ourselves the same way as we treat other people. And to give you just an example, I want to tell you a story about two friends. Best friends. Craig and John. And they've been through all sorts of times together. Challenging times, great times, trips together. They do all kinds of things together. And if you were to ask him, Craig, are you loyal to John? He'd say, absolutely, except for the backyard incident. And it's a very well-known thing in this relationship, the backyard incident. John was looking to buy a house. And so Craig went over to help him assess. They're doing the walkthrough. They're in the backyard. They're checking the back of the house out. They're getting the lay of the land of the yard. And as they're doing that, the next door neighbor they discover has two pit bulls that they did not know about. And until those ferocious canines came tearing around the house to the back, coming straight at them. And pit bulls, let's be honest, they have a bit of a reputation, right? Partially true, partially dramatized, but when you see them charging at you with the full fury of protection mode upon them, you believe every story that you have ever heard about a pit bull or any other wild, attacking, vicious, partially supernatural creature. Good, Cujo. Good boy. Sit, Cujo. Sit, right? Like, this is the kind of feeling that we have. And these two pit bulls were tearing right at Craig and right at John. But John was kind of standing between the pit bulls and Craig. And so as a faithful, loyal friend, Craig just pushed 
off uh, John as, as hard as he could, pushed him towards certain death. And Craig ran the other way as fast as he could. And when he was three doors down the street, he finally stopped and he realized that he had pushed John over face down in front of those creatures. Thankfully, there was a chain link fence there that was separating the yards, but when Craig pushed John down, he didn't know it. When the two came together again, John says, do you realize, best friend, Craig, that you just pushed me towards certain death? And Craig said, well, if it was going to be you or me, it was going to be you, baby. That's friendship. And Craig would tell you all day long that he is loyal. But in a pinch, the reality is that we are all often loyal to ourselves. Most of us are. And disloyalty is a very significant issue. But it is also very difficult to see in the mirror. There's a famous man. right? He's famous for his claims, his pledges of loyalty. And his name is Cephas. And it just so happens that Cephas also goes by another name, right? Convenient, right? Whenever you want to hide your identity, go by your other name. His other name is Simon. He's also a Simon guy. And, but that's not the end of it, because he is also known most famously as Peter. And Peter is very good friends with Jesus. And over and over again, he says, Jesus, I've got your back. I'm your man. If all these other losers leave you, I will never leave you. I'm your loyal guy. You can depend on me. So let's just peek into the story. Maybe some of you know it already. It's recorded for us by an eyewitness, somebody who was actually around. The guy who wrote it down was a really good friend of Peter and a really good friend of Jesus also. And we're going to find this story in the historical document that's named after the author, and that's Matthew. And Peter declared... Even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the roaster, roaster before the rooster crows, that you, you will deny, you'll, you'll re, uh, three times, all right? Three times. And he said, no, 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 it's not going to happen. I'll never deny you. And the, all the other disciples vowed the same thing. And Peter said that even if all these people Fall away on your account. I never will. I won't do that. I will be completely loyal to you. I will never disown you. I will be completely loyal to you. I promise. And if you know the rest of the story, before the evening was over, three different people come up and they said, Hey, weren't, weren't you... With that Jesus guy? I think, I think I saw you with that guy. And Peter's like, uh, Jesus who? Uh, what are you talking about? Jesus? I don't know Jesus. You, Jesus is your friend, not my friend. I don't know any Jesus. And three different people. And after the last one comes by the rooster crows. And if you read the story, you get in there. You can almost read between the lines and get in there where you feel this. And he's going, oh my gosh. I said I would be loyal to the most loyal person I've ever known. But I was disloyal. To him, I've known, I've known that this is who he was, and I, what did I do? What have I done? And so Matthew writes this about uh, his friend Peter. He said, suddenly Jesus' words flashed 
into his mind before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he went, went away weeping bitterly. Here's what we need to understand. And if you want to write something down, you can write this down. True loyalty is proven, not proclaimed. I just asked you a couple moments ago, are you, are you basically a loyal person? And almost all of you would say, absolutely, I'm loyal. I just don't want everyone else to see that because I don't want them to ask me to do stuff, but I'm loyal. And I agree that disloyalty is a significant problem in our culture. But it's not me. The problem is not me. But loyalty is proven, not proclaimed. So many will, will, will say uh, they are loyal friends, but who can find one is truly reliable? Solomon asks in Proverbs 20. We have to learn as followers of Christ not to just talk the talk, to, to say that we will do things. We have to walk the walk. We have to bring it to life. We have to manifest it, bring it to life. And to me, one of the greatest examples of this is in sports history. Um, it's about Pee Wee Reese and Jackie Robinson. Do you know the story? Back in 1947, ah, yes, I remember it well. Uh, they both played for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Very, very good friends. And what makes this story kind of special and stands out a little bit more in history is that Jackie Robinson was the first black or the first African-American baseball player to break the color barrier, the race barrier. It's a very significant deal. And it was highly controversial because even his own teammates turned against him, didn't want him on their team. All sorts of fans wrote in death threats and they said all kinds of horrible things simply because of the color of his skin. And when Brooklyn was playing in Cincinnati, Jackie Robinson was playing second base and his friend, Pee Wee Reese, was playing shortstop. And the crowd started in, throwing all these things onto the field and booing and saying just terrible, horrible things to Jackie Robinson. And his white friend, the shortstop, Pee Wee Reese, took his glove and just threw it in the dirt. He walked over to the second baseman, his friend, Jackie Robinson, and then he looked up into the crowd, kind of taking the time to look around the whole stadium, the booming crowd, and he simply put his arm around his friend. And the crowd went completely silent. Jackie Robinson later said that this one simple act did more than save his career. It saved him in more ways than you could ever know. It was such a special a moment in history that they have made a statue to symbolize this act of loyalty between two very special friends. Loyalty is proven, not just proclaimed. And I want to show you a, a, a story from, uh, from Scripture, where uh, a story that you probably have never heard before, you just glossed right over it, where you can see uh, loyalty between a soldier uh, who's a commander and a king, King David. Let me just give you a little bit of backstory here. Okay, King David, well, he's the king, and he had a son named Absalom. Absalom was actually his third son. And his son committed a horrible, atrocious crime and ended up murdering a guy. And he went on the run for his life. Um, and he, he, was, he was very afraid. And even though David had been very faithful to him, he was still afraid of what was going to happen. And about three years later, Absalom returns back with big army. And he's there to overthrow his father, David, from the throne. And David had been faithful to him, and yet he was being disloyal to his own father. And so now King David was on the run. He's trying to hide out because he didn't really want to engage in this, trying to save his own life. And there's this guy by the name of Ittai. 
Uh, Ittai shows up on the scene, and he was basically a mercenary. He was a hired guy who was a commander of about 600 men. And Ittai, though he had no um, real skin in the, in, the, in the game, he volunteered to fight for David on behalf of David. So we're just going to read the story. It's in 2 Samuel uh, 15, starting at 19 and following there. It goes, the king said to Ittai the Gittite, and I know we've got to stop right there because that's awkward, right? Um, you, you know it's ancient history as soon as you get a line like that that comes up because those names make you feel instantly like you're reading a story from the Bible. That's a Bible story kind of thing, which is good because it is a story that's in the Bible. Um, then the king turned and he said to Ittai, who's a leader from the, uh, the men in Gath, and he said, why are you coming with us? Go on back to King Absalom, for you're just a guest in Israel, a foreigner in exile. You arrived only recently, and should I force you today to wander with us? I don't even know where we are going. Go on back and take your kinsmen with you, and may the Lord show you his unfailing love and faithfulness. In other words, here's a free pass. You don't have to get in on this. This is not your fight. You don't have to, uh, you don't have to risk it. You don't have to fight. This is not your battle. Let's not see any of your men get injured or killed. Let's not see you get injured or killed. But verse 21, watch the loyalty that's here. But Ittai said to the king, I vow by the Lord and by your own life that I will go wherever my lord the king goes, no matter what happens, whether it means life or death. So not only did he proclaim loyalty, he proved it as he led his 600 men into battle and fought so faithfully that later David elevated him to be in charge of about a third of his troops because he embraced the rather rare forgotten virtue of loyalty. No matter what it costs me, no matter what everyone else thinks, even if it costs me my life, even, um, even then, I'm not loyal up to a point. I'm not conditionally loyal. I'm, my loyalty is with you Forever. So, since most of you are basically loyal people, I want to tell you, just for interest's sake, how to be disloyal. Because most of you are already pretty loyal, right? So I want to teach you how to do that. So I want to take a few moments to instruct you, to teach you. If you ever want to be disloyal, here's a couple of ways to do it. So to do this, I want to be somebody new for you. So let me be... Sarcastic grin. Let's look for three great opportunities for disloyalty. And a great place to start for all of you wanting want to be betrayers is to be disloyal to your spouse. All right? Sure. Go ahead. Let's try this one out. Write that one down. How to be disloyal to your spouse. What do you have to do? Well, the first thing you should do is you should ignore what God said through his prophet Malachi. Where he said, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and in spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart and remain loyal to the wife of your youth. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? But we know that that's silly and old-fashioned, right? <laughs> That's a long time ago, and that just doesn't really apply anymore. So guard your heart. But who cares about that today? 
Do what you want to do. Remain what? God says to remain loyal to the wife of your youth. But what if you can trade in your 50-year-old wife for two 25-year-old wives, right? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Isn't that what people are saying is a good idea? Why stay loyal? Because I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. But who cares about that? Who cares what God? I don't even know if God exists. What God says is ancient history. To divorce your wife is what? It's to overwhelm her with cruelty. But let's be honest, she probably had it coming anyways, right? So guard your heart. And do what? Do not be unfaithful to your wife. So if you want to be unfaithful or disloyal, your basic starter kit for that would be to go ahead, have an affair. Go ahead, commit adultery, physical and or emotional adultery. Because you're basically a loyal person, but according to studies, about 40 to 60% of you will commit adultery on your spouse. Ouch. That statistic doesn't change when you're in the church or when you're not in the church. It's a rough place to start. But you can take it all the way to the very obvious, which is um, if your spouse isn't making you feel happy, divorce. Maybe, I mean, divorce, it's, it's easy. Everyone's doing it. They got discounts on it. You can get them at half price. That's what everybody does. It's the solution that we have found that always solves the problem. You're not being disloyal. You're being loyal to yourself. Someone's got to take care of you, right? If it's not making you happy, if she's not making you happy, if he's not making you happy, just walk away. Forget about that covenant. Forget about that relationship that you have with God and with your spouse. But that's just the easy stuff, right? That's just the popular stuff. Let's just dumb it down a little bit. We'll make it a little bit more creative, a little bit more subtle as well. Subtle ways to be disloyal. Do you know this guy? This guy's master. He is masterful at being disloyal to his wife by taking shots at her in public. It's always masked by humor, so it's always fun, right? The guy is brilliant. He's just a genius. He can put her down, tear her apart with jokes. Everyone's kind of laughing. And the beauty of the jokes is at the end of it, you can say, come on, honey, just relax. I was just joking, right? But she doesn't take that line down. No, they go back home and she tears him down in front of the kids, right? She says, oh, you got to watch her work. But she says stuff like, oh, man, if only you were a provider like so-and-so. Or, I wish you were a godly man like so-and-so. She sets it all in front of the kids. You can be disloyal to your spouse in much more subtle ways by dishonoring them and belittling them in public. But honestly, there's so many ways to be disloyal. One of the best ways is just to put anything ahead of your marriage and your family. And it could be your work. Gotta stay late. Could be your hobbies. I got a free round. Could be your friends. I never get a chance to see them. I gotta be with them. Could be your yard. It could be uh, working out. It could be your pursuit of material things. A great way to be disloyal is to put anything else ahead of who you are supposed to love. Second group of people that you can be disloyal to, if you're looking, is your friends. King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, learned so much, compiled it down, saved it for us in a book called Proverbs. Wisdom there is just fantastic and so bite-sized. It's so easy to get to. He says, a friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in time of need. But who can do that, right? I mean, that's kind of ridiculous. A brother is born to help in a time of need. Some great ways to be disloyal to your friends. One great thing, easy to do. 
gossip about them. Come home and, and say stuff like, oh man, can you believe what they just bought? Oh man, can you believe the way they spend their money? Can you believe the vacations that they go on? Can you believe the way that their marriage is so full of gossip about them? It's easy, you know, even easier than that. You don't have to gossip yourself. You don't have to come up with the ideas. You can just listen to other people go on and on and on, but not stop them or not correct them or not redirect that kind of a thing. And, and then whenever you have a hard time, you have a little tip, something goes wrong, there's a bit of a misunderstanding, you get a little upset, just walk away. Just walk away and write them off. Done with those people. Don't do that loving Christ-like thing. Don't work at forgiveness. Don't look at trying to understand what actually happened. Let's not try to work through it. What's hot today is walk away. Whenever someone hurts you, just walk away. It's the easiest thing to do. Another opportunity for disloyalty, since you're looking, is you can be disloyal to Christ's church. You can be very disloyal to the big C church, the church universal, or to your local church, the small C, lowercase church. And these New Testament Christians, when we read about them, these were people were like, Fanatic into this Jesus thing. I mean, they took him so seriously. They believed in this whole church thing and all this weird stuff, and they weren't like the other people in their community. But we all know that in today's world, we don't really have time to honestly be part of the church. We want to add a little bit of Jesus to our lives. Bam! But not so much that it makes us weird, or that it makes us different, or that people might actually see that we behave differently. Just look at these New Testament people. Early church people. Acts 2, starting at verse 42, says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals together, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Devoted themselves. But who's got the time for that, right? They were just this little community inside of another community, and they welcomed people who were part of their community, and they welcomed people who weren't part of their community. They had lives that, that overlapped, and they cared about one another, and they ministered to one another, and they got deep into committed relationships that suffered and hurt for others. But that's kind of a little bit overboard, right? That's a daily commitment. Who's got time for that, right? We don't have time for that. We're busy people. So just go to church when you feel like it. And go with a consumeristic mindset. I'm looking for a church that meets my needs, right? Don't even start to think that, that you are the church and that you are here to meet the needs of the world. You go in. You look for a church that meets your needs, that does it the way that you like it to be done. And then, if anyone ever does something you don't like, for instance... Sarcastic Graham? Well, here's the perfect excuse to never come back. Just don't come back, right? Just get mad. Leave. Don't work on things. Don't try and become more godly. Don't grow. Don't expand your faith. Don't try to work on forgiveness. Don't develop. That's how to be disloyal. It's just way harder to... Uh, actually preach like that than you can ever imagine. It's like it's opposite day. Really, really hard. I'm basically a loyal person. The problem is that maybe you're like me and I'm basically loyal to myself. 
That's who I am. I, I don't want to actually admit that, but it's true. Where does this disloyalty come from? All disloyalty is born out of a divided heart. Think about loyalty from God's perspective. God created us to show us his love and to have an intimate, ongoing relationship with us, to work in partnership with us to make a difference in this world. And he has been so loyal to us that while we were still sinners, while we were still turning our back on him intentionally, while we were being disloyal to him, he loved us so much that he sent his son to die for our sins. Even when we are faithless or disloyal, he remains faithful. He remains loyal to us even when we curse him. What does he want? God asks for all of our heart. There's a story of the, of the Great Commandment. It's a famous story. It's central to Jesus' message and to his mission. What's the big one? What's the most important commandment? Well, it's to love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. He wants all of our hearts. And the second commandment is like it, which means that the second has the same value as the first. The second is the visible way to express the invisible first. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I can't speak for you, but I can tell you tragically, he does not have all my heart. He doesn't. And I'd like to tell you that he does. I'd like to tell you that I'm perfect. I'd like to tell you that with enough time, I've just got it right. I really wish that it was true. But if I look at the way that I live, I have to acknowledge that I have a divided heart. Many of you, if, you, if you're really honest, you might have to say the same thing. You, you, you might come to the place where you've got to say, my heart is divided also. But if, but if that's all that we do, if we all just, just say that part, we'll never have a unified heart. So here's what James, the brother of Jesus, had to say. And I believe that there are some of you, that maybe even today, that the Holy Spirit is going to do something in you. And you're going to have an encounter with God. And you will not stay the same. Today won't just be the next day. My guess is that most of you, unfortunately, most people are going to be able to shake it off. Because we are very good at shaking it off. When God tries to press onto us and say, deal with this, we are so good at shaking it off so that we can be free. We can go back to our life that's just normal. But I think a few of you might be able to hear this in, in a way that God wants you to say, he wants to say something to you. And James says, come close to God and God will come close to you. Just imagine the power of that. Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. James continues. He says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. And as you recognize that, he continues. He says, let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Let there be mourning and repenting for the division in our hearts. 
This is something that I am incapable of uh, producing in your heart. And I don't want to say, feel bad about it. You, you should all feel bad. But here's what, what I do want to say is this. When I get close to God and I see his goodness, when I experience his grace, and then I see beside it my unfaithfulness and I see my disloyalty, if it doesn't just grieve me enough to drive me to my knees um, to the point of repentance every once in a while, then I think that there's got to be something deeply wrong with me. So let it drive you to tears of deep repentance that God has been perfectly faithful to us and yet our loyalty has been divided between a little bit of him and so much of this world. Deep repentance and grief. The truth is I want God and I want my stuff. I want a little bit of God and I want to do what I want. I want to do what I want, what I want, with what I want, with who I want, whatever. I want to be loyal, but as long as it works for me, let there be deep repentance. So I, I don't know exactly where this leads you, but I imagine that for some of you, you might want to have a conversation with your spouse or go to your family and say, it grieves me deeply that I have been disloyal. I've belittled you. I've torn you down. I've been unfaithful to you with my, with my eyes. I've been unfaithful to you with my actions. And with the power of Christ, I will be loyal to you. Some of you are going to be thinking about your relationship with your friends. and You're going to be able to say, I haven't been a good friend. I haven't been there for you. I haven't been praying for you. I haven't supported you. I've not been around when you needed supporting, when you needed to be lifted up. I didn't have time for you. I'm too consumed with my own life. But I will be faithful. With the power of the Holy Spirit, I will be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I will be faithful. Maybe some of you are even going to feel it towards your church. And I will say that the good news is that there are so many of you here that have been faithful to into one and to the big C church. You recognize that you are the church. And honestly, I thank God for you. Some of you, though, you're still just going to church. You were called to be the church. And yet you still think that it's a place to just go. It's an address. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, you will become the church, to be loyal to Christ's church for which he died. Then, then some of you are going to have that relational angst, that you're going to have that miserable, aching feeling, oh God, I've been disloyal to you. And in that experience, it's okay to hurt. It's, it's okay to feel those feelings, to cry. It's okay to get down on your face. It's a good thing every now and again to have a sense that I need this and I pray, God, cleanse me. God, change me. God, heal me. Because I recognize that disloyalty is a problem out in the culture. But when I look in the mirror through the, the mirror of God's word, I see that disloyalty is actually a big problem for me. And with the help power of God through his Holy Spirit because of the death and the resurrection of his son. I will not have a divided heart. My heart will be sold out to him 
and to him alone. And even when I mess up, the good news is that he is still faithful and waiting and ready for me to come with all of my heart to him. So I'm not there yet. But the good news is that through a grieving and a repentance process, I'm getting a little bit closer. And then James goes on, right after those other verses. The next one he says is, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Grieving is for a time. Confession is for a season. But he will lift you back up. He will restore you and restore to you the joy of your salvation. Because he is faithful, and he is loyal, and he is just, and he will wash away our sins. He will forgive our selfishness. He will sanctify us. He will make us clean. He will pressure wash the stubborn stains away. Father, I pray. I acknowledge this is a tough message, maybe even blindsided a couple of folks. But God, we do have to acknowledge that disloyalty is a significant issue in the culture today, and it can be a significant issue in me today, too. So we ask, God, that you would help us to see in the mirror any part of our unfaithfulness in us. God, I see so much in my own life, and, and God, I don't want to live in that guilt but I want to feel the pain enough to push me to serious repentance before you. That I might receive your forgiveness and your grace. God, I thank you that your forgiveness is real and that your healing is real. And God, I ask that you would empower us to embrace and to live, not just to proclaim, but to prove by our actions loyalty to the people you have given to us. And God, ultimately, to you, loyal with everything in us.